start. Welcome to the Sports Evangelist, and today our guest is Mr. Mokriti Mahapa, MD at G4S Botswana, former BF, BVF president, former national volleyball player, and a self-proclaimed football star who could have played, who said he could have played for football, for any football team in Botswana, in the Premier League, that is to say. Currently, he is the, F, the FA marketing chairman, and he holds many high-ranking titles within the sporting fraternity and within the corporate world. I don't know whether, Mr. Makapa, I should call you Jack of all trades, because sometimes people call themselves Jack of all trades, remembering, forgetting that when you are Jack of all trades, you end up being master of none. But I guess you are the, 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 the master of all. Anyway, <laughs> without further ado, Mr. Makapa, welcome. Uh, let me hear, tell us about yourself, who you are and where you come from and why uh, you have been involved in sport for so many years. The floor is yours, sir. Um, no, thank you. Thank you, Tabo. Um, I, I definitely will be calling you Styles, uh, which to me, I think it's appropriate. Uh, but thank you so much for hosting me on your third episode. And I think before anything else, just to also congratulate you on getting back to your your, your business and your core, uh, obviously, which is sport. I mean, I've known you for the for the time that I've known you uh, during our university days. You've always been involved in sport in one way or the other. Thank you, um, sir. And thank you, for, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, and I think you've covered uh, essentially what I do or what I've done. Um, and uh, I think just to give people a bit of background in terms of sport, because that's really, I think, where I'll spend a bit of my time. Um, as, as you all know, you know, when you are, I was born in, in Habroni, uh, bred in Habroni all my life. Mm-hmm. But I come from a village called, called, called Mutani. Uh, definitely as a young Mutsuana man growing up, that's where you go for your holidays and spend a bit of time. Uh, with your family and everybody else. So I've, I've, I've had the best of both worlds in terms of growing up in the city. And obviously growing up in the city, you grew up in the township part of, of the city. Um, and uh, what it does is that um, you grow up, one, as a football person, because the only thing that is available in the township is football. Um, so obviously growing up, I think in my early days, primary school, played football. Um, only got in contact with volleyball, I think, in the 1987s or so when I went for my high school at GSS and went on to, to play volleyball at the highest level. So that's been my involvement in, in sport. But along the, the, the uh, all these years, I've always had a heart for football. Um, I've always played football at any opportunity I could get, whether it was at university, uh, recreationally, uh, uh, or um, during the Christmas holiday tournaments. And then um, I retired from volleyball at a very young age. I think I retired at age 25, if I remember very well. And then I went to play organized football, I think for about two years, Flamingo and uh, UB Hawks. And then I hung up my boots and went back to volleyball uh, as the vice president, I think 1998 or 99, if I'm not mistaken up to 2000 i think eventually 2002 
I took over as the president of BVF. So that's that's my journey with sport. But um, I'm an all-rounded sports person. I play a bit of tennis. Of course. Play a bit of table tennis. Um, I enjoy cricket. I enjoy rugby. I enjoy Formula One. I, you know, so so generally uh, a sportsman at heart. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, currently I assist the the, the, the FA, the Botswana FA, uh, in terms of marketing and commercialization. And uh, that's that's what I've been doing. I think for the last two to three years, assisting mm-hmm. them. But yeah, uh, and then I I I got back to playing my recreational Sunday soccer about four years ago. Yeah. So generally, on the odd days that I'm available, I I do a bit of kick kick about with the guys, yeah. And, and yeah, that's that's a bit of my background. Um, so I don't know what else you would want me to tell you about, yeah. but yeah, as to as to self proclaim, I think between you, you and I, <laughs> we know exactly what the issue. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm teasing um, you. Even, I'm teasing you. I know your skills. I, I know that's why. You, I think that's why you uh, you got. I think that's why you got this name skills because you are highly skilled in football <laughs> and what what that kind of link that you have sometimes i say yeah. this man cannot do anything to football but only to be surprised that we yeah. can do so many things with football so i'm only teasing you but yeah. i know that you are quite a skillful player, I'm aware football player. yeah <laughs> yeah you and i we know but look if there's anything styles that i've learned in time um, I spoke to a young man uh, who I think gave up football at a very young age. Yeah. Uh, about two, three years ago, I spoke to him and I told him, "Look, if there's anything that I probably, re- I don't, I'm not a person to regret anything, but if there's anything that I feel sad about is the fact that I never went and played organized football, even though I had the opportunity when I retired yeah. from volleyball. Yeah. I was 25. I could have played for about four or five years. I only played for about, for about two years." I was given mm. an opportunity to go and play at the highest level. I probably I declined it, and I mm. think focused on corporate. And yeah. look, it's, it was a, it's, everything is an opportunity cost. I think mm. I only regret that I probably didn't uh, try my hand at it and see where I would end up. But as to how things turned out, I don't regret it because I mm. obviously looked at other areas like sport administration, obviously uh, uh, having a say in the corporate world. Uh, which obviously one or the other will always help uh, in the sports world, yeah. Yeah, there's something so, yeah, very that's, interesting. That's, that's about me and Yeah, there's something very yeah. interesting before I get to the to the other questions, especially regarding your involvement at, at BVF and your involvement at BFA. That, that I think you also have a very good heart. That is what I, I can say about you. Because I remember about two years or, or a year ago, you asked me uh, that to, to assist you to find a place for a young, talented footballer. I think he was going to play in Japan. Can you tell us a little bit a little bit about that that player and where he is at the moment? Is he doing well or, or has he given up? Because you were speaking uh, very good, very good words about, about, about him. Yeah, look, um, our, our system is a very difficult system. I'm sure we'll talk about it later in terms of scouting and cushioning and and getting our players to be able to 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 progress up to the highest level. Um, so this young player, I mean, when I went back to our 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 social team, it's called Haranata or HSC. I found him playing there, you know, and um, at the level of talent that he had and his age, I felt it wasn't proper. 
that you are yeah. not playing in organized league. So as a as a club, in fact, it was Ararata. Uh, as a club, we managed to organize about two years ago for him to go and play in China. And yeah. then he played there for about one season. He's, he's, he came back. So he's been yeah. with BDF 11. You know? uh, okay. uh, so we managed to come back into organized football. So yeah. at, at, at lockdown, he was uh, involved. He, he, he's a BDF 11 player. So obviously, I'm sure after lockdown, there'll be movement of players and what have you. But I think as as, Harata, uh, as our social club, we pride ourselves in the sense that we've managed to get them back to organize football. Yeah. Uh, I think one other player also has gone back to organize football because we felt that they had a lot more to give. And yeah. I think um, probably uh, some of the deficiencies in our structure, you know, that our talent falls through the cracks, you know, we're not able to harness all the talent yeah. that... that that is out there and I don't think it's football only it's all sports it's all sports yeah very true one of that as as administrators of sport I think uh, administrators uh, uh, people that are involved in sport like yourself Mm -hmm. it's an area that I think uh, we should be spending a bit more time on really trying to look at our whole structure and say how do we make sure that we capture all the talented uh, uh, young people uh, from a very young age make sure that they go all the way and we make it as as, as as easy as it can get for them. Look, sports is tough, it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more difficult, uh, particularly as a player, if you want to play in the professional or formalized ranks, I think it's more difficult than the corporate world or anything that's organized because it, it really requires a lot of dedication, effort, and passion. Yeah. So it, it's really tough. So you really need a support system around you, yeah. uh, uh, you know, really psychologically, I think those are really the gaps that uh, having been a sportsman, having been an administrator that I've seen here. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I will, I will invite you to another interview on some other day to discuss yeah. issues of sports development and grassroots okay. development because I think those are the, 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 the nagging issues, those are our Achilles heels issues that we should be attending to in Botswana. As you rightly say, it is not only in football but it's in other sports. But I, today, because I want to focus on other different areas, which may take a little bit of time, I think we can come back to that one, which is very key because we lost a lot of, like you've said, we have lost a lot of talent in the past. Uh, where guys are just saying, because football is not professional, football is not uh, well structured, or, or that uh, particular sport, tennis or volleyball is not well structured, I would rather do something else rather than doing football. But we are lucky to be having people like you who, despite what they achieved in the corporate world, you still soldiered on to, to assist football. So I think we will find another day uh, to discuss this issue of grassroots development or sports development in general. So now, can we move to the, the time when you were still at volleyball? I don't know if I've captured it correctly that you were the president then and tell me about uh, your tenure and the, leg- the legacy that you left at, at BVF. Okay. No, thank you, Stav. Um, yeah, like I said, I, 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 I mean, I retired uh, from active volleyball in 1998. Um, 1998, I think I was about 24, 25, uh, 24 and a half, going on 25. Mm-hmm. Um, played football for about two years. Um, and then in 1999, uh, I was very despondent about um, the administration at the time in, in volleyball. And rather than just move around, I actually did something about it, stood for elections and I was voted the vice president. Um, I think in, in, the, in 2000 and 
two. Uh, there were elections, I think, every two years. So I stood for elections then um, and was voted the president. So at the time that I was the vice president all the way to being the president, um, I wouldn't want to say I, le- I left a legacy. I mean, a legacy is for people to determine whether indeed you did, you did leave a legacy. Okay. But there were quite... There were quite a number of changes that I think uh, I put volleyball in the map at the particular time. Firstly, there was a lot of work that was obviously done by people who had done it before. But during that time uh, that I was involved uh, with a lot of other guys, your uh, Musweus, uh, your, your, your cousin, Kabontino uh, Khan, a whole host of other guys that were involved. We focused a lot on, on development. The, the, the current uh, grassroots development in football and other sports was actually morphed from volleyball. We had something that was called mini, mini volleyball. It was the first grassroots development organized program. Uh, it was sponsored, and I think I'm well within my rights to mention the Pioneer uh, yeah. by JBS, you know. Um, so we ran that uh, where essentially we went to the primary schools and introduced organized volleyball in the, in, the, in the primary schools. So that was an area that we brought on board. The other area that we focused on very heavily was the issue around the technical development of the sport. So that meant the referee and the coaching, uh, even the administration. So there was a lot of training of coaches, uh, even to the highest level of uh, volleyball training. During our time was the time that we developed a lot of uh, professional uh, referees who now uh, referee or umpire uh, the world throughout and I am very glad that some of the guys that were introduced at the time are still very involved. I remember your Edgar Serrales, uh, yeah. your your Puzanyanis, a whole host of other guys that came in as referees. But then we developed sports administrators, you know, we ran sports administration courses with the uh, BNSC. But yeah. most important, a lot of you would know Lebias, I used Lebias a lot uh, when I was yeah. at volleyball. Because yeah. he's very, he's very knowledgeable and very experienced in sport, and I don't uh-huh. think we give credit that he deserves. Yeah. So we use the approach to really shape our administrators' run for volleyball. You know, not even sponsored by the BNSC, all volleyball uh, design. And then, yeah. uh, and lastly, out, uh, other than just developing the technical aspect, we then obviously looked at our national teams. Yeah. And what we did is we we obviously made the realization that. Um, uh, one of the key things uh, within the world uh, uh, international sport of volleyball, height is a big issue. So right from the grassroots development, the focus mm-hmm. was on kids that were one already showing signs that they would be tall uh, uh, individuals. Yeah. And then obviously are the people that were identified. And then in time, those are the people that went through over a five year period. Yeah. In which uh, We also ran a development team for the national teams, both men and women. And I think we took very strong uh, positions around uh, probably starting afresh. And I think that was the beginning of a very successful era in the in the, in the volleyball world. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember very well what you did, especially on the technical side, like like you said. I remember that you sent the late Mission Marriott to Canada uh, for some coaching, coaching training. I think, how many years did he take in... in it is spent in, in, in Canada. The late Miriot. Mr. Mahapa, are we together? Hello? Mr. Mahapa? Hello, Mr. Mahapa? 
Are we together? Hello? Hello? I think we, we're having a technical problem. Uh, I cannot hear Mr. Mahapa on the other on the other side, from the other side. Mr. Mahapa. So I was just confirming that I remember very well what you did with the development of your technical wing. And I remember that you sent Mission Mario, the late Mission Mario to Canada. Yeah. And I was just asking yeah. myself about the number of years that he spent there and what contribution did, do you think he, he brought back when he came back from Canada? So, so you see, the the part of the whole robust uh, technical development meant that our technical officer at the time, uh, the late Michel Perriot, may his soul rest in peace, uh, was that we needed obviously uh, a person at the highest level who would be in a position to take um, volleyball to the next level. Yeah. So generally, we identified Canada as one of the 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 better uh, areas in terms of. Uh, uh, off to Canada. I think he spent about three years there, two or three years, where he was doing, uh, I think it was it was a diploma in, in, in technical uh, uh, coaching, uh, advanced diploma, uh, volleyball. And when he came back, I mean, he, he was in a very good position where he could now run the development program of uh, volleyball. That was the most effective. So I was telling you something that we also did at the time was also purposefully identifying the physical nature of our athletes. Mm-hmm. But over and above it, uh, some other things that we did in the technical side of things is that we identified countries that had very good development structures in volleyball. So mm-hmm. there was a very good prog- program that was running uh, Cuba Botswana uh, from a sports uh, perspective. I think we brought in about two or three Cubans at every year. We always had about two or three Cubans who were in the development uh, side of things and they worked with the grassroots, they worked with the junior teams, and then some of them also worked with the national team, uh, as well as the, our, our, our advanced coaches. So that really brought, that really revolutionized our sport um, to an extent that um, we had one thread that was happening right away from mini volleyball. Uh, some people call it, call it a philosophy all the way to the national. Exactly. And those are the times that we started dom- dominating now your, your Southern Africa. Uh, we started being ranked uh, in Africa and we had very grandiose targets. But overall, that was also the time that as a result of the product, we then started attracting uh, sponsorships. The first Mascom sponsorship yeah. was during this time, I think, when I was the vice president. We secured yeah. that sponsorship. I still remember the value. I think it was about 50,000, lots and lots of money at the time. For, for volleyball at uh, that time. 
volleyball at the time. Yeah. Uh, we had we had sponsors like uh, BP at the time. We had mm-hmm. uh, the Swaps uh, volleyball tournaments that were running. You know, so there was a really lot of activity. But I think uh, that some of them had been running in the past. But in the past, I think we had focused more on the elite volleyball, if I may call it that, without yeah. spending a lot of time on the technical and the infrastructure side. And another decision that we made at the time, uh, as you know, volleyball is an indoor sport, but uh, purely because of lack of facilities, it has always been played outside. We made a very a bold uh, decision that volleyball in Botswana competitively was going to be played indoors. Yeah, that is that's, a- another, that's another issue that I would like us to discuss in our next meeting, issues of facilities. Sports yeah. facilities, so, 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 so you will see stars yeah. that we looked at the whole spectrum right from when you talk about development, yeah. you're looking at assist development, coaches' development, referees' development, administrator' yeah. development, uh, 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 essentially uh, facilities uh, as well. Uh, and and I think all of it really came together and it supported by a very strong administrative structure at club level. One of the things that also introduced was uh, uh, you know uh, 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 youth teams. Uh, you needed to have a certain number of of of, of 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 players that were under the age of 20. But over time, it, it became very automatic. Uh, so one of the things that we did very well, we also worked with the school system. You know, right from basic education to secondary mm-hmm. education. So what we did is we actually uh, integrated the. Uh, both uh, BISA, which was secondary school and primary school, into the volleyball development and technical structure. So they were coached by our coaches, uh, coached by our referees in terms of referee, our administrators supported them, so they became part of the structure. So we had a very seamless, uh, where the primary school and secondary school teachers were taking care of the students while they were still at school, and then our coaches or technical guys were infusing the knowledge to the teachers. So a lot of the, the highly qualified coaches at the time were, were the teachers, purely because they wanted to make sure that uh, they were able to take their kids through the proper development process. So we had a very strong pipeline right from grassroots to early early development in the early teenage years. And then when they were coming out of high school in uh, age 18, 19, 20. So by the time they got out of high school, we had a very strong under 20 development team, which led to a strong under 23 and therefore feeding into the national team. So I think I think that that's that's really where we focused a lot. And I think in yeah. those years, uh, when I was there, both as vice president and president, uh, we obviously won a lot of our colleagues for best development plans that we ran. I voted as the best administrator when I was vice president uh, at the time. Um, and then I think our, our referees and some of our coaches, some of our clubs, I think one of our clubs was voted as club of the year because we were doing very well in terms of zonal and even continental uh, competitions at the time. Yeah. So I think four years that I was involved in administration, I unfortunately had to leave in 2004, as you would know. I yeah. had a, a tragedy, um, uh, accident that left me wheelchair bound. And um, this was around May. So when I recovered in, I think it was around August, September, I then pushed uh, my position so that I could nurse myself to health. Yeah. And I think my vice president at the time, who was Sisupo Musoe, who we played together. Yeah, we played together uh, right through our secondary school years, national team years. Uh, uh, he took over 
And at the time, I think him and I were also serving in the zone six structure. He took over, and I think he went on to serve in the zone six structure as well. Yeah. And basically, just to, so there was a form of continuity. Just for the, just for the sake there. of uh, sorry, sorry, Mr. Maram. Just for the sake of uh, listen, can you because this podcast is going to be listened by people from different countries, not only from Botswana. When you say yeah. which areas are you referring to? When I say zone six. Oh yes, thank you for that. The zone six yes. is, is purely the SADC region, uh, uh, with the exception of uh, Tanzania uh, and, 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 and DRC. So yes. it's purely your Zambia, your Zimbabwe, Malawi, um, South Africa, Botswana, Mozambique, Angola, uh, uh, Namibia, uh, Swaziland and Lesotho. So that is your zone six. In, yeah. in, in volleyball so that's that's the area that we dominated uh, we started qualifying for the continental championships in terms of africa and i think at the time our ladies were ranked in the top eight if i remember very well uh, uh of in africa which yeah. was a very mean feat and one of the things that we also did that i almost forgot uh, over and above the receiving cuban uh, experts. We had an opportunity to send our guys to Cuba for yeah. sports uh, uh, development uh, uh, training, where they did sports science or sports education or physical education. Uh, and we sent about four guys. So our our ambition at the time was to make sure that we had at least a minimum of six, both women and, yeah. and men. So that whenever we have a national team playing, they'll be coming out of uh, Cuba. As you know, yeah. Cuba was the top uh, nation in volleyball at the time. And I'm very proud that a lot of these guys played for a very long time in the national team colors. A lot of them now, I think, are involved in sports. Yeah. If I recall, Shadrach Tapeko is involved, Peace is involved. Yeah. Uh, 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 there was Peaceful as well. So there's a, there's a whole host of these guys who are still involved in sport. But they, 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 they really changed the outlook of of our sport uh, and I think after that we saw a couple of females as well uh, moving in that direction and one or two of our females I think over the years have managed to progress I think into the professional ranks so so it was one of those things that I think just changed the face and uh, yeah. uh, uh, look of the sport at the time yeah yeah so in, in a nutshell what you are saying uh, you're saying that when you have all the, the right things in place when your approach, especially from the grassroots structure, are yeah. in order, then everything will fall in place. <clears throat> sorry, sorry, <clears throat> I'm getting, I'm getting yeah. something. Yeah. What you're you telling us in a nutshell is that when you have the right structures in place, then everything will fall into place. You had, you started by focusing on grassroots development, your mini volleyball. And then you, you decided to focus on... No, definitely. I mean, without a doubt. Uh, yeah. And I think, I, I dare say, at the time, between 1990... Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm saying without a doubt, uh, that, uh, that is yeah. without a doubt. Um, when you look at your whole menu uh, chain, uh, if you recall very well, because we were involved in sports, I think we were at BNSC at the time. Sports, yeah, so I was at BNSC, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I dare say that uh, during the 1999s up to probably 2004, volleyball was probably the most, if not the most, uh, 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 one of the most 
definitely the most watched sport, both physical attendance and even on TV because we dominated TV a lot. One of the things that we were able to do at the time was uh, identify, understand the value of broadcasting, all of it due to administration training of the years and obviously interacting with online organizations. So what we did, we realized that we had to package a very good product. And this product, obviously, if we packaged it very well, it would be pleasing to the eye, it would be pleasing to the public and the viewers. So naturally, it would attract uh, sponsorship. So I think during those periods, we enjoyed very successful uh, broadcasts. We're very dominant on TV. And I think the most popular sport was uh, is was and is football. And I think we gave them a run for their money in terms of viewership and just I know. prime <laughs> Uh, at the time so so and when i look back i think it's just the effort that we put in in terms of making sure that we have a technically and commercially sound product at the time and i think the commercial viability of the product was really inf- informed by the technical uh, stage of the product which was just basically what the product was all about you know yeah. so all these things so all these things uh, the commercial viability of the product is is, is, is is an outcome of the process that you must follow really? so it is not the other way around you know you yeah. can't you can't uh, even if you put a lipstick on a pig it will still remain a pig still so that is why it's, <laughs> yeah that is why it's important that you you actually make sure the product is right yeah. it's appealing to to the masses it's played properly it's done the right way um organized you've got the right administrative structures you've got less scandals you are you are more predictable when you have a schedule or a program that runs it runs uninterrupted so that that is your whole package you know that that you must be able to send out there so that when you when you want to sell it to your sponsor it doesn't complicate it it becomes a very easy sell yeah i i, I, yeah. I, I, I wish most of the sport coaches sport coaches leaders could listen to this interview once I put it on, on, up on podcast because I see that nowadays people are doing things the wrong way like you were saying they are starting from the wrong side most of them are saying yeah. look let us make the national team to perform forgetting that they, they, you have to start there's, there's, there's a pyramid that you should be, be looking at that should feed on to the, to the, to the apex and say now you yeah. are right. now you, your national team can perform because you have got yeah. good structures, you have got governance yeah. structures in place, and everything. But anyway, let's not uh, discuss this issue as we are taking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. 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 I'm 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 impressed. But when earlier on when you you told me about how you, you decided to join the leadership of volleyball. You said you were despondent with a few things. Can you mention just maybe a couple of things that you despondent about that you've done and that you, you ultimately, during your tenure at BVFP, I think you mentioned some of them that you, you can say maybe yeah. there were proper structures, there was no grassroots development. Can you just mention a couple so that you can, yeah, I think I think I think as, because because I was yeah because because I was a player styles at the time. There was a time that we didn't have the league going on. We didn't have the right sponsorships. I think it was 1990 to 1997. Uh, so because I was a player, I was very unhappy about the fact that we could not attract sponsors at the time, and therefore we were not playing competitive volleyball. I think it was 97 played without without a sponsor for the first time 
in a long time volleyball had run out of sponsorships and you know things were just not moving in the right direction you know there was no proper program in place so obviously by going in there it was to solve that problem but having delved deeper into why we didn't have those things why we couldn't attract sponsors at the time one got to realize that somehow we had managed to become disorganized so the organization part was really the root cause of all this so organization comes from the technical side of the product the administrative side of the product so obviously by working backwards we got to realize that look, we had to now go to the drawing boards i mean you would know that volleyball at the point had had uh, the likes of your opponents battle who also revolutionized volleyball at the time yeah. with very bold moves and then we had a bit of a lag between when i think there was obviously spill over uh, uh, goodwill uh, goodwill does run out you, know, you need to reinvent yourself uh, regularly you know yeah. so 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 it was more the, the lack of organization the lack of foresight uh, the the lack of understanding uh, of what really drives uh, the product and i think um, i must say i was very privileged to have been uh, uh, exposed to 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 leadership as well as a player uh, to open my eyes in terms of what is required both locally and regionally and internationally because I, I talked to a lot of people as, as we played around the region I uh, locally engaged with a lot of people that is why you see I'll, I'll mention a person like Lepias I spent a lot of time with Lepias uh, as a young guy I admired him for what he did and he had very strong convictions about the methodology that sports should follow you know and this is something that uh, i think we we run out of steam very easily uh, uh, when we talk about methodology so i think those were the issues by the way, that I by the way when you when you mentioned when you mentioned lebias he's still involved somehow in in sport they have decided oh, okay. to bring him to the international games and events hosting committee which i, I happen to be part of so i think i'm going to be learning a lot from him i learned a lot from him during the times when we started the because he's the one who came up with the the blue the blueprint of how the yeah. game should be conducted and i was later appointed to be the first coordinator of those games but it was all work and thanks to mr labias pluiwitz so i would i would I pass my regards uh, your regards to him and, yeah. and and probably he will also enjoy uh, to come into this platform and talk about his experience in Botswana and to tell us where we have gone wrong and where we we have been able to succeed. But anyway, I was just in, <laughs> interjecting. You can go. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Mr. Mr. Mahaba, we we are at a point when I have to ask you a very difficult question. Yeah. Especially in terms of. Uh, with, in terms of leadership, yeah. sports leadership, do you believe that uh, people who are elected into office to lead sport, I'm not talking about employees, I'm talking about those who lead sport at board level, do you think there should be a certain qualification that they should they should have to lead sport? I'm putting you on the spot on that one. But I know because you are, you are quite a, a frank person who Tell me how you feel about it. Yeah, look, um, uh, a sport like any other industry uh, has got its own uh, nuances and complications. Yeah. But it's also uh, uh, like any other structure. And definitely the, ten- the tenants of leadership by nature uh, 
do dictate that uh, one has to have some sort of qualification or claim to fame uh, if you want to lead, for example. And I don't think sports is any different. Um, so qualification can be by, by way of uh, academic qualification, can be by way of experience uh, in terms of what you've done. Uh, and as I give you an example, I mean, sports is trans- it's, it's transformative. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the things that you probably need to be able to demonstrate from a leadership point of view is the ability for to have foresight and to, to be able to transform. So those mm. are, I'd rather talk more about the competencies and, mm. and, and, and rather than qualifications per se, because okay. I would assume that qualifications of any sort will give you competencies. Yeah. So these yeah. are the sort of competencies that we should be looking for in our leaders, you know, the ability to transform, the ability to 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 have uh, a bigger long-term view, uh, the ability to be able to build, the ability to be able to, to make very difficult decisions, mm-hmm. giving up short-term for, for long-term. Those are the tenants that you are looking for for people that are leading in sport. But something that I really want to add, uh, sport, unlike other industries, you know, is not, is not driven purely by, by money. Even the guys who make money from sport, if they do, uh, whether as athletes or, or owners of clubs, if you really look at how they started, they started out of just pure passion and love yeah. and, the, and the ability. Yeah. Are you there? No, I was, I was saying, I mean, uh, uh, one, one would assume that uh, you would have the right competencies uh, that are required in the organization to carry it forward. And I spoke about uh, foresight, I spoke about the ability to transform. Yeah. I spoke about the ability to make the difficult decisions, giving up short term for long term, and just uh, commitment, you know, to the course. But most importantly, out of competencies, which I believe qualifications would add to that. Um, there's the other element of exposure to the industry itself called sport, you know. Uh, uh, and I give an example that I don't think you find yourself as a, as a CEO or managing director or board chairperson or a board member not having gone through the mill of the corporate environment. So sport is not any different, you know. If you don't yeah. have a basic uh, uh, understanding and exposure and experience and you jump in at the, at the tail end where you are now all of a sudden become a leader, uh, I think it's going to create a lot of problems because you need to understand the product, you need to understand the, the ecosystem of sport. Yeah. So, so for me, I think that's, that, that would be my question. Um, but what I've seen in our country, over and above uh, uh, the, the general view of sport, you also have sport specialized uh, 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 sports qualifications. For example, you you are one person who holds such a specialized qualification, and I think we don't probably understand the value that that brings in terms of the whole ecosystem. Just like yeah. any other area, I mean, uh, in, in I don't think you would want uh, a vehicle mechanic to be fixing the the the, 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 the aeroplane you know, that you are about to take off on. So it's the same. It's the same uh, concept. You know, you want yeah. you want sports administrators qualified in sports administration. You want uh, uh, guys who are now even uh, called football marketing experts. If you are talking about a particular sport, because yeah. it's got its own nuances and and and, and definitions. So I think that's that's really my submission. I, I think we probably had as a serious should uh, when we we look at sports uh, leaders. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I, I had some questions that 
that I had for you, but I'm going to have yeah. to skip these questions because I think my network is not very stable. Beside, I'll I'll try to to skip and go forward and and ask you uh, some other questions. You had you had mentioned some competencies that somebody should have to be. Yeah. I, the question that I would, would like to ask you is. What are your ideals? Uh, the ideas that you fight for in, in sport? <laughs> um, yeah, ideal is a very strong word. Uh, but look, for 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 me, uh, I, I fight uh, for 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 justice and fairness. You see, what people don't understand about sport, I call sport the greatest equalizer of all. Yeah. You know, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter uh, your your your. Your, your origins and where you come from, uh, what yeah. color you are, sport equalizes all that. I mean, that is why you have a Hamilton Formula One, you have a Ronaldinho coming out of the slums, you have a Neymar, and then you also got other guys also uh, coming from affluent families in football, your Kakas, and a whole yeah. host of other guys. But yeah. uh, sport actually equalizes. In fact, sports actually is a, is an equalizer for the for the for the downtrodden for the underprivileged because yeah. that's how they been to, to rise into into that spot. So so I think I think equity and justice and fairness is yeah. what I fight for uh, yeah. in sport. Uh, because that's how sport is made, you know. When yeah. you are in a football team, in a in a netball team, it's it's all about the rules uh, surrounding the sport. It's about your yeah. your abilities, about your talent, it's about your passion and your commitment. So yeah. it should not be anything else. Yeah. So things like uh, uh, fairness really are things that I put uh, before yeah. a lot of things. Uh, uh, I also fight for giving people a chance. You know, is by giving people a chance. Uh, to really develop to their full potential. So those are some of the things that I always want to put ahead of uh, uh, what I do. Yeah. What about integrity? Do you, do you think? No, no. I mean, <laughs> obviously, when you talk about justice, fairness, and, and, yeah. and, and equity, that is integrity. That is the you integrity. Know, that, is, that, that is integrity. You can't do you can't do those things outside integrity. Yeah. You can't do those things you don't care uh, yourself in that manner. You know, I mean, integrity and ethics is exactly that. The reason why you put that place or gravitate towards that is so that the outcome is really these ideals that you are fighting for. Because in an environment where integrity and ethics are at the highest level, you're going to have consistent decision making, you're going to have fair decision making, you're going to have equitable decision making, which in all uh, 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 honesty really uh, augurs well for sports development. Now, when, when we move to the to the issue of marketing, sport, uh, yeah. commercializing sport, there, there there are some things that I I think I don't let me not make it my own activation. These are things that are happening in sport right now. One of those things is, is that the consumption of sport has rapidly changed now. The traditional, yeah. for instance, traditional broadcasters. Uh, are now competing with other uh, over-the-top services, which we call uh, OTT services, where you can yeah. live stream a game, not only depend on on your or, or television uh, television uh, or a broadcaster to give you a, an event, a, a sport event. What yeah. is your take in that uh, in that area? Because you are a sport marketer as well. 
potential uh, consumers uh, being the potential sponsors that you want to bring on board yeah. so that's the first thing so naturally you should know how to package your products but all you know sport sponsorship is only one it's called broadcasting yeah. and i think that's where people really don't seem to to get it the is what will drive the value of the sponsorships that you see out there and it's a very simple analogy and uh, terms of broadcasting or access by us this is how you connect uh, the consumer products uh, for sponsors with uh, connected the consumers and the product for the sense uh, on behalf of the sponsors so what should happen is that um, because because you can't access prime time television or any other media you then obviously go through sport you know which is more appealing and generally has a, has a, has a wider following and that's how you access your, your consumers so broadcasting becomes very key so broadcasters now also become extremely important now as a result of uh, uh, the advent of technology over the years you definitely have new technologies you've spoken about ott uh, streaming xbox and other things so what it means for 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 the owners of the content who are the sports associations that one they need to be able to package that sport properly secondly they need to be able to segment you know the the, the consumers of their product Correct. and then they also need to be able to match the consumers of their product with the right sponsors and even the platforms you know the media platforms that they may want to use they need to be able to match that with uh, uh, a, a probable sponsor if i give you an example you will see that you've got certain spots that only are used uh, live streaming they don't use um, your traditional broadcast is because yeah. they've been able to identify the consumers of the The, 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 the product that they want to sell i mean if you look at uh, uh, gaming gaming itself mm-hmm. uh, gaming is consumed by the youth uh, predominantly so the youth are the guys who are using these OTTs so they've identified that niche market so the type of sponsors that they look for are the guys who they want to sell it to the youth so that's why they've been able to keep uh, their broadcast or they sold the rights to these broadcasters that use OTT but you also have traditional sports like football who are still very strong in your traditional uh, television consumed by a wide range of people and it's a family because it's a family consumption you watch football as a family it's not an individual type viewing sport then obviously television becomes very uh, prominent so so what is important is you need to identify who are the consumers of of, of the product of your sponsor mm-hmm. and most importantly even your product Uh, uh, the sports product who are the consumers of that product so that you can match the appropriate sponsor with the appropriate uh, uh, consumers in this in this market it's a, it's a topic on its own but yeah, uh, obviously the danger is that it can cannibalize traditional media which is your tv your radio in terms of broadcasting yeah. but i see that because one the over the top uh, broadcast is not as 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 intensive and as expensive uh, 
so it's ubiquitous you know you can access it at any point in time so it can actually be a secondary media that you use for example if you are football you can have your main uh, tv but you then have secondary media in terms of uh, uh, live streaming and any other forums that you may want to use which are secondary and tertiary and you obviously on sell at a cheaper rate but it gives access to other uh, people who not ordinary if I give you an example of my son, my son is 17. I mean, he watches the football leagues around the world while I watch it on he watches it on his laptop, on his phone, and he's very comfortable with it. Yeah. So, so if you have a, a secondary and tertiary streaming, it means you can actually get him as part of a captive market. So the danger is that if you don't, if you don't. Uh, uh, embrace the, the new technologies and the new mediums that are there. You are you you are you are, you are going to be caught out in time. You know, uh, I mean, radio used to be bigger than TV before there was TV. Very so true. that in itself should tell you <laughs> that in itself should tell you that even these OTTs that are currently there. Yeah. I mean, you can see nowadays uh, broadband is improving. So connectivity is really improving. So with connectivity, it means that now you have different ways of uh, streaming content. So so definitely something that uh, all all sporting associations and particularly football, uh, uh, because I think they, they are more traditional than and it's not only in Botswana; it's everywhere else. But in in the first world, you've seen uh, that now different platforms they've branded it and they've really done exceptionally well in those areas. So that's an area that only I think is lacking in our environment at the current moment. Yeah, this yeah, this this was where I was going to come in to say, do you think our own rights holders, uh, sports rights holders in Botswana, do, do you think they understand all these things? And if you believe that they do not understand all these things of how you package, because you mentioned uh, the issue of package, you know how to package their their rights yes. to the to the to the potential sponsors, do you th- how do you think they should be assisted in terms of uh, coming with the right package? If you believe that they they are not that at that level yet. Yeah, look, I would, I would, I would zero in on football because football is obviously got the, I, would, I would say the most valuable rights uh, at the current moment, yeah. and it's what I've been it's what I've been involved in. Uh, I'll be very proud and tell you that uh, I don't. Think know the intricacies of sports marketing as, as they should uh, and it's a, it's a travesty for me because that is that is what is core to the whole survival of sport you know so so the right holders or the right owners I don't want to know what they are they own secondly they know they don't know what drives the value of the rights so so this is this is why when you look at our environment currently you will you will hear people uh, complaining about uh, a title sponsor saying there's little money hmm. they should put in more money nowhere in the world hmm. is the title sponsor able to cover the cost of running a league or a club I if you go that. around all the leagues that are commercialized uh, 70% or 80% of the revenue comes from broadcasting hmm. and so what should happen if the, if the in Botswana what should happen if the right holders get to understand what they have and what drives the value of their rights? The first thing that they should do is engage uh, the policy makers in making sure that uh, uh, broadcasters or, or media is actually liberalized in the sense that uh, once you do that, then you create competition for rights. So currently, where you have one public broadcaster, uh, it's unlikely that you get the right value for your product. 
So what should be happening is that you should be bringing in commercial uh, broadcasters who are able to create value for the rights that you have so that you can then on sell on sell it to those broadcasters and create value for the clubs mm-hmm. so that's the first thing uh, the second thing is that um they need to understand that the quality of the product or the content that they they produce is what will get uh, broadcaster broadcasters attracted it's what will get the sponsors attracted so i think for me uh, in the next probably two years uh, and, and i see there's elections the people that are coming into office must really spend an inordinate amount of time dealing with the issue of sports broadcasting and sports uh, and I and I won't say sports marketing I would say sports broadcasting because yeah. that's really the core of marketing so that yeah. when they get to understand it then they build a proper structure around their rights their, 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 their rights of the content that they have and then obviously build an offtake uh, structure so how we sell our rights such that we get the best value uh, and at the same time not compromise on ubiquity meaning that the masses should not be deprived i mean if i give an example of next door while they to the high because the secondary broadcast has been given to the public broadcaster so that people still have access you know so there are many ways of playing around with this with this mm-hmm. with this uh, system because the only way we can manage to football is where broadcasting is actually at the right level it's commercialized and broadcasting in turn is what will attract the sponsors because remember the sponsors are attracted by access if you have access to a wider audience than they would necessarily have if i give an example of a, a company that produces uh alcohol for example or it's a, it's a bad it's a bad example let me say soft drink i won't mention it by name uh, a company that produces soft drink it's got a it's got a definitive target market and naturally at any point in time they cannot reach 1 million people but if you broadcast and you do it very well you've got the right partner in broadcasting at any point in time you are able to reach 1 million people i mean that, that is the show win i mean the head of marketing of that company cannot do anything but put that money in sport because then they know that in terms of their marketing their reach is is, is, is very wide so they are able to reach more people than they would if they were doing direct marketing or if they were going to use print or or or, or mail or whatever it is that they'll be doing to reach their customers so that is the value that needs to be created uh, in 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 sports broadcasting but it can only be done if you understand the ecosystem yeah and the ecosystem is really very simple you know you need to have the right product you need to have uh, a competitive Uh, of take in terms of broadcasters who should pay commercial and top dollar for the content mm-hmm. because you actually provide them with content i think sports is the only content provider that is live and rehearsed uh, and is able to be uh, available throughout the whole year yeah i mean if there are content to movies or reality shows that's why i call reality shows uh news and other things they are not continuous you know they are not ubiquitous football volleyball when the leagues play when tournaments are played throughout you know you know a uh, 1500 hours saturday sunday 2000 hours friday thursday you know uh, that content is there it's readily available it's under has it gives you the thrills it gives you the oohs and ahs you know it's it's a, it's it's a really nice content uh, way where as the broadcaster you don't spend anything to create that content the only thing that you need to invest in is the quality of your broadcast yeah and yeah. and you because you're speaking about the the rights holders you've been focusing on the on the rights holders here now when it comes to yeah. the 
to the sponsors themselves, the corporate sponsors. Yeah. Do you believe that they are also at the, the level, or are they at the same level with the rights holders? Do they both understand what the other is giving and what the other is receiving and how they should use it? Because sometimes I see like this, this like divergent understanding of how sponsorship should work. Yeah, it's a it's a very it's 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 an egg and chicken situation. Purely, purely because the right holders have not been able to define the rights that they own and hold mm-hmm. and the commercial value of the rights. Yeah. The rights that they own are, are generally not viewed in a commercial manner. They are viewed as a CSR, you know, you know, a social responsibility. Mm-hmm. So, so, so naturally, what should be happening is that if the rights are packaged in such a way that they are viewed as a commercial vehicle, the, the person who buys those rights, I mean, in the sponsors, would then have a commercial vehicle that they can use to drive their commercial intents. Yeah. So I would I would say to you, I, I think our sponsors are mature enough in the sense that they know what they want to achieve at the end of the day. Yeah. And what they do is bottom line. They want they want to create value in that bottom line. But because you've got this this magic waters in terms of the way we've packaged our rights, they then consume those rights as CSR. And then they are not able to unlock that value because we've not created the framework for them to be able to unlock that value. And therefore, that's why you see there's always this back and forth and these accusations about overselling and overpaying purely because we've not put the framework in place for any rights purchaser to be able to access and actually get value out of that. So, So as the right owners or the right holders, we've got the responsibility to shape the market in terms of understanding the rights. And once we do that, then the people that want to consume those rights or want to buy them, they will definitely know what type of product that they're buying and how they can use them. If we're able to demonstrate to the sponsors the, 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 the efficacy and the impact, the massive impact. I mean, I've just explained to you styles when I talked about the oohs and the ahs mm. of a live match of a very competitive final where your top two teams are playing, yeah. where they even give you goosebumps in terms of just how the, the product is delivered. So, yeah. so if we're able to do that and demonstrate to the sponsors, you don't even need to say anything because yeah. any sponsor, depending on the product, they can actually see that this particular content or product, if I bring in my product or service and attach it to this, because I know that these guys have got ethical conduct, that people of integrity, they don't tarnish the image of my product or service or company, that is a check, it's a tick in the box there. One well packaged, the passion is there, and viewers are there, the organization is there, two, three checks uh, in yeah. the box. I can in fact, I want people to associate my product and service with this particular product that's coming from the right holders. Yeah. I would because when you look at this product on a particular Saturday, 80,000 people are watching this product and product and service. Yeah. Behind that, that's when now the sponsor or the consumer of the, the right. Uh, because you've conferred certain rights, they, they will now, and, and you've made sure the framework is there, the facilities are there. I mean, if I give you an example, Styles, when you go to anywhere in the world, when you talk about a stadium, that stadium is set up such that the broadcaster and the sponsors are able to 
to to take advantage of that the rise that is is taking this is taking us back to the issue of, of facilities that you mentioned earlier <laughs> <laughs> but you but remember sometimes i said to you about framework i said to you about the value chain and yeah. i said to you about understanding the ecosystem yeah. because if you understand the ecosystem system before you can put a certain price on the value of the rights you yeah. must make sure that you create that ecosystem such that when you put in a number that number is justified and the yeah. person who assumes that right will not talk about the fact that the match has been cancelled because you don't own the stadium. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a there's another event that is not football that's going to happen at a football stadium. You know, that is why that that that, that is why I talk about an ecosystem. I talk about a framework. So you yeah. need to understand how these things connect into each other and how ultimately they influence what sponsors see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This is this is very true, and, and you have said a mouthful. And when you speak about it, these issues, you you talk with so much passion that <laughs> it's like we will spend the rest of the day talking about this issue because I think these are the things that are lacking. Typically, in, yeah. in, in, in these are the things that we should make what we say is the experience. Give the, the, the supporters the experience that we want to give to to them and the as well as the 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 sponsors but we have said a mouthful and you have said a lot and i think we haven't run out of time the only problem that i'm having right now is that i think my my network is is getting disrupted time and again we'll have another but time clear, I can really, yeah. am, I, am i very clear okay if i'm, yeah, I'm clear, clear then probably then it, it is you on on that side so with those few would would you want to say would you have the last word that you want to say to to our listeners uh, with what we have just discussed right now <clears throat> yeah i mean i mean from a from a sports uh, point of view uh, styles uh, the, the the main thing that that i keep talking about is the fact that sports is the greatest equalizer of all Yeah. And when I say that is because it's able to lift people out of poverty. It continues to do that, whether it's athletes, administrators, referees, coaches. You know, it's an ecosystem on its own. It's an industry on its own. Yeah. But what is important from an administrative point of view, you cannot uh, skip the developmental stages. And I think over time, I think as we travel, we've been we've been consumed. I want to skip the developmental stages. The, the sports that have done well in Botswana uh, have actually identified the need to make sure that uh, uh, the developmental stages are not skipped. I mean, if you look at athletics, if you look at karate, uh, yeah, if you look at boxing in its yester years, and boxing are the guys who brought in the first, I think, Commonwealth medal uh, yeah. through my dear friend in France. Um, in, Karate has been bringing in these medals. Athletics, personally, I feel that we're punching below our weight in athletics. We should actually be out there uh, when you look at what we are able to do in the 400-800 meter sprints. Uh, but if you look at it, you realize that uh, athletics also invested a lot in terms of coaches, technical abilities, and just yeah, the whole development and even infrastructure. The government has, in, has obviously invested on facilities that would favor athletics in terms of yeah. infrastructure. So, so we shouldn't be caught up. I think football is is really at a stage where we need to go back to the drawing board, as they say in football. Yeah. And this is a drawing board that is used normally by coaches when they talk to their players. You know, yeah. so we need to go back there and say, okay, this ecosystem 
what have we missed? And obviously, I think we've missed the most basic in terms of everything else, which is the infrastructure. I think for me, it's, 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 it's a criminal offense that you still have football uh, up to fourth division level being played on debt, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, to me, it's a it's criminal. Yeah, I mean, your your Super League teams, they train on debt, yeah. with the exception of maybe three or four. Over the weekend, they want to play on turf. Uh, how do you train a goalkeeper? On, on debt. So the infrastructure part becomes extremely critical. You know, that's yeah. what we need to build, not only in football, but all sports. We need to build the right infrastructure. Once we have the right infrastructure, we need to build the right coaches. You know, yeah. uh, obviously, the, the players or the athletes are, are, are an outcome work or coaches teach them. So if you don't have our coaches at the right level, then we need to also build the right caliber of administrators with the right passion and right commitment and right. A mindset in terms of driving sport and then that will get these administrators will be able to admit when they don't know certain things they'll either be able to ask for help source yeah. help uh, help but most importantly they would have the foresight to know what they do what they don't know because if you don't know what you you, you don't know that that is the beginning of problems there yeah. and then i think ultimately uh, uh investment that to make in terms of really carrying our policy makers on board of actually, I mean, I come from a fellowship where one of Botswana's stars, um, uh, uh, he was not an academically gifted uh, individual. I played football with them at the time. Yeah. Uh, he built a life out of what I of them, you know, and I think uh, we keep talking about uh, 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 talent and based education, vocational based education. But sports is an industry, it's a multi-billion industry on its own. And I think if we put the tenant in place, we should be able to create the next wave of commercially viable sporting codes. And I think for Botswana, we need to probably look at the way that we fund sport, what we focus on. I think this this general approach where we just divide money amongst these sporting codes is not necessarily the way to go, you know? Yeah. And then and we should also separate recreational sport from competitive sport because a lot of the sporting codes really engage more in recreational sport than anything else. And obviously competitive sport will always require more money. But if you invest in infrastructure at a recreational level and get people involved in sport uh, 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 and make sure that um, you, you, your framework around sport is well defined, then you are yeah. able to get more people uh, uh, going through probably the thirty years that they need to spend in sport. So I think for me, we, we I think we've got we've got we've got the, the passion, uh, we've got the, surely we've got the talent. I mean, I've yeah. at, at, at the highest level in different countries and different parts of the world. Yeah. I think I don't know if many of you will know you know, the figures are I mean, mm. he's running I think a, a, a very successful academy. Uh, I think the sports management in squash yeah. uh, in the US. I mean, that guy was an export. Uh, I mean, the golden days was to get guys with scholarship on tennis scholarships. These guys, uh, with, with, with few exceptions, either came back and never pursued uh, 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 tennis development purely because I think the way we structured things here makes it very difficult uh, yeah. for the right people to come on board. So I think that's, yeah. that's my part into it. But yeah. for so I mean, yeah. let's keep up the pressure. And lastly, uh, Styles, I want to thank you for what you are doing. It's very brave what you are doing. Yeah. I mean, you are out there uh, uh, as a lone ranger, uh, 
people are close. Sports, sports is an industry, there's an ecosystem. You need to have certain uh, uh, level of competencies and experience and knowledge which, which you are now sharing with people out there. Absolutely. Because because I believe that if I don't share this knowledge that I have with other people, then it is going to go to waste. The, the Botswana government has trained me and sent me to school to learn about these things. And you will see as we, we, we bring in more episodes, I'll be bringing in different people with different expertise. I, tomorrow, on tomorrow Friday, I'll be speaking to somebody who's going to be talking about uh, digital transformation in sport. And I think these are the things that our people should know. But because I'm not within the, 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 the system per se, uh, the sports system per se, I am an independent person. I think we need a lot of people who have got this knowledge. And I, this is my contribution that I want to make to, to the nation. And thank you very much for uh, agreeing to, for me to interview you, for, for, for you to share your knowledge with people who will be listening to you. And of course, if other people listen from outside, then they will understand also that there are so many people in Botswana who are quite knowledgeable in sport. And probably they will start asking questions also. Why are we where we are when we have people like you who are so much knowledgeable in sport? So thank you very much for agreeing to take this interview. No, you're, you're, you're welcome, Stanley and Amasi. And there's a lot of people that are to contribute in whichever way that we can. But I think uh, platforms like these um, to, to to invite me and other guys that I can recommend where we can spend the whole day, whole week, you know, talking about sport, what should be done, and even offering, you know, our help like we continue to do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is the end. This is the end of this episode, episode three of our podcast. Uh, please keep on listening to the other topics that we discuss and advise me where you think you can advise me and invite other people to listen to and to follow this podcast because I think it, it is a, a new a new kind of a, a trend that is going on in other parts of the country, I mean the world, not country. This is something that is ongoing every day. We're talking sport every day because it's part of our life. So thank you very much again, sir. Yeah, no, um, thank you. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a typical example of uh, disruptive broadcasting, you know. <laughs> you don't exactly. need TV or anybody else or RB2 or whatever. Uh, and and so you can live stream, you can do everything else that you want to do. So, yeah, you're actually uh, going about it the right way or actually just saying, look, when I talk about disruptive technologies, this is what I'm talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Thank, thank you very much, Mr. Mahaba. No, thank you, Tabo, and have a pleasant uh, early morning. You too, bye-bye.